All right, so the Yankees are in trouble. Uh, some very, very serious trouble after dropping a mini two-game set thanks to a rainout in Baltimore. And uh, that rainout on Tuesday night I thought would actually help their season. I thought it couldn't have come at a better time. I thought it helped out the rotation, gave them an extra game later in the season to play when they're more healthy um, or healthier, when they have a better chance at swinging the bats with some consistency. Um, and it didn't help. And Joe Girardi was a big part of that. But we'll get into the disaster that was Wednesday night. The disaster that's really been the New York Yankees since beating up on the uh, Indians on Friday night at the stadium, the last time they won a game. Um, and joining me today to talk some Yankees baseball with the season unraveling, spiraling out of control with 43 games left to play is John Jastrzemski, WFAN. You can hear him uh, pretty much every day right now in the summer on WFAN. There's a time slot for him. John, how's it going today? Neil, it's amazing. I was at that game Friday night a week ago, and I just thought of it now. That's the last time the Yankees won a ball game, which is really hard to believe. <laughs> it's actually kind of disturbing because when they come off that three out of four against the Tigers, which going into that series, you know, they were able to salvage the Boston series and come out with two wins, especially on Saturday and Sunday where they trailed by three runs Saturday, then they trailed by three on Sunday, then three again on Sunday. They come back. They give you a good taste in your mouth, but with Detroit coming in, I expected, I wanted, I said, let's split this series. If we split this series, you know, we go from there, we take our two wins. They win three out of four. They could have won four out of four if Joe Girardi gave a crap about how many games are left in the season, but he pitches Matt Daly, who blows that game. Um, and Joe Girardi, I've been a, a heavy critic of him. Um, people always want to claim how good of a bullpen manager he is. It's almost an exaggeration at this point because he's, you know, he's good at keeping guys healthy, but he's not good at, you know, winning games with urgency when you need to. And on Wednesday night in Baltimore, he shows urgency by finally bringing in Batances in the sixth inning, a game where I, I, I was proud. I was like, you know, Jardy, for his, all the crap I give him, he's finally doing something I respect. Um, and then he also follows that up by bringing Sean Kelly into that same game in a tie game in a playoff race. And it's almost like, you know, that guy at your blackjack table who stays on 16 against the seven and it's a bad move. But you say, you know, as long as he's consistent with it, I won't have a problem. If he wants to play badly all the time, that's one thing. But don't mix and match, you know, what your decisions are. And there's Girardi. You know, he plays with urgency in the sixth inning. And then come the eighth inning, he brings in Sean Kelly. So to me, George Girardi's been as big a disappointment as anyone on this team. I kind of disagree, Neil. I really do. Now, listen. I think you can look at the game on Wednesday night and say Girardi has got to let Pineda stay in that sixth inning, or he's got to let Patances finish the eighth inning, or he's got to go to Robertson there for the eighth inning. To be honest, though, watching the game, when he went to Patances in the sixth, I'm watching it, I said I didn't have a problem. In the eighth inning, after Patances gives up the home run, I'm saying, all right, you got to take him out of the game. And at that point, you're not going to go to Robertson. You're not going to go to Warren, who's been awful. Because it's tie game in the eighth inning. You can't it, it, go to the ball that spot that's there. That's insane. I mean, you look at Robertson has pitched four innings in August. Since August 4th, that was 10 days ago today. They have an off day today. So from the 5th till today, he hasn't, he's, he's thrown one game. He's thrown 13 pitches. Oh, no question. Listen, a lot of rest. But you look at Robertson over the last couple of years here, Neil, not a guy, if you notice, who goes to innings very often. Doesn't happen with David Robertson. And that's why I think Girardi was hesitant to go to him in the start of the eighth inning. Because honestly, watching that game, Neil, which I know you were and I was, when Batanzas throws the sixth and the seventh, did you honestly think he was coming out for the eighth? Because I was under the impression you were going to see Robertson. But it makes sense. He can't go to innings. Bottom line, Neil, to me, you can try and nitpick this any which way you want with the bullpen management. The bullpen management for the Yankees has probably been the best thing going for them this year. 
The problem with this team is very simple. You're going to say they hit. do not hit. You cannot expect to win night after night after night when you put up two and three runs a game. This is what they do every single night. It, it makes things that much more paramount, and every decision is going to be nitpicked and criticized to high heaven when you can't score runs. The Orioles, they all took two swings off the bat. Jonathan Shoup, who kills the Yankees. I can't I mean, his guy numbers, already. His, he's, got a, what, he's got 12 home runs this year and four against the Yankees in eight oh, starts. disgusting. He's hitting 220 on a year. He's got 11 home runs and four against the Yankees. Don't like him already. And then Adam Jones, two swings to the bat. Difference in the game. That, to me, is the difference between the Yankees and the Orioles. The Orioles can do that. In years past, that's what the Yankees used to be able to do. They can't do that anymore. Well, I understand. You know, you are right about the hitting. You can't expect your bullpen. But in these games, when you're playing the Orioles, when you're playing the team that you're chasing division, you know, the best team, so-called, in the AL East, you have to expect you're going to be playing tight games. I mean, I don't expect... You the Yankees, even even you know when Yankees Red Sox played when they were the top two teams in the East, you'd get your your crazy you know eleven eight barn burners here and there, but for the most part you'd get some tight games. And I think when you when you went into the series, you expected you're going to see tight games. And when you score three runs, you score four runs. Uh, yeah, maybe that's not cutting it to the Yankees teams we grew up with and the Yankees teams we're used to, but. If that's your team, then you have to manage the bullpen accordingly. You can't expect that this team's going to start putting up six, seven runs, eight runs a night. If they're only going to give you three or four and you know that's what you got to work with, I think you have to manage the bullpen accordingly. And, you know, like you said, I expected Batances to go two innings and then Robertson to go two innings. It's not unheard of for Robertson to do that. And I don't like the fact that because he's a closer now, he can only pitch with a lead, with a save statistic on the line. And, you know, this guy since 2008 for the Yankees has been a guy who's come in and the fifth inning, the eighth inning, the seventh, it didn't matter if there's guys on base, he's coming in, and now all of a sudden, because he has this closer label, all of a sudden he's, you know, he can only pitch the ninth inning when they have a lead or extra innings when they have a lead. It just doesn't make sense. Thinking back, watching the game Wednesday night, Canada's pitch count was pretty low. Now look, in that fifth inning, he started to get hit. He was getting the ball up, Nelson Cruz did a shot in the gap. That was the first inning Canada gave up a couple of hard-hit balls there. Maybe if you're Girardi, honestly, Neil, I-, I won't even get on him for going to Kelly in the eighth inning. Here's what I would get on Girardi for. If anything, you try and piece together that sixth inning. Where you let Pineda start the inning, you see what happens. If he gives up a hit, you get him out, and then maybe you try and piece together the sixth, and then go 7-8-9 with the Tances and Robertson in that way, where you have to set up 2-1, knowing full well what your bullpen can and cannot do. So, yeah, maybe in, in hindsight you can look back and say, oh, he should have done this, should have done that. But I will keep harping on this because unless this is going to change, we're going to be sitting at home in October for the second straight year not watching the postseason with Yankee baseball. Yankees better figure out how to start scoring some runs because if they think they're going to win all these games, Neil, scoring two and three runs a game, they're not making the playoffs. Cape Cod's. Well, I mean, I just don't know. That's the thing is with hitting, you don't know when it's going to come together, if it's ever going to come together. And that's why I think the bullpen is something you can control. You can control who pitches and who gets the outs and who controls the game. And it's just, you know, the thing with Jardy is that why last night? Like, there's chances in the past where they've had winnable games. He didn't bring Batantis in because he wanted to give him rest. He didn't bring Robertson in. He hasn't still brought the guy in 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 a week. Tomorrow will be eight days. If he pitches tomorrow night against Tampa Bay, it'll be eight days since last time he pitched. So why is it now all of a sudden with, you know, in game one, you know, whatever that was last night, you know, with 43 games left, uh, 
game 118 of the season. Why is it in game 118 of the season he decides now is the time for urgency? Why was he, you know, letting these games, the game against the Tigers slide? Why did he let the games right after the All-Star break against Texas slide or the games against the Indians in early July slide? Why now is he trying to prove that he's going to play with his urgency when he's been, you know, careless and trotted David Huff out there and Rich Hill and uh, Matt Daly in tie games and winnable games in the pennant race. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's almost like they're not going to score runs. That's one thing. But if the team gives you a chance to win, if you have a lead to protect, at least use the guys that you have a chance to protect it with because you don't play for tomorrow because as they've shown the last two, the last week or so, tomorrow may never come. There hasn't been a need for Batances and Robertson, but when he wanted to give them rest, there was a need for them and he blew those games. Listen, I think you're going to see a lot more of this from Girardi. And I'll tell you why, Neil, specifically this game in August was a game Girardi looked to as the quote-unquote Hank Button-type game. It's against first-place team. Yankees need to win that game to have any sort of shot at the division. And I know you can look at it and say, well, the Yankees still have big games remaining with the Baltimore Orioles. Listen, you look at the Yankees and the Orioles this year. What would lead you to believe the Yankees are going to be good enough to make up seven-plus games with a team that consistently hits a lot better than the Yankees do, a team that has a bullpen just as good as the New York Yankees, and a team that, much like the Yankees, is getting a lot of unlikely contributions out of their starting pitching. So, to me, listen, that's why I think Girardi went full tilt, and I think now you look at the final six weeks of this year, it's something he's going to have to do more often. Here's the problem, though, Neil. If they don't get Adam Warren and Sean Kelly White, the Yankees are going to be in huge trouble for this reason. They are not going to be able to shorten the game like they've been able to do over the course of this year. And you're going to run Dellen Betances, a guy who's in his first big league season, a guy who is throwing probably more innings in the big league than he has at any point. I know he was a starter, but listen, he's a pressurized innings. He's in different innings. You can tell me whatever you want about double-A, triple-A. This is the big league. And this is his first real season in the big league. So I'm a little bit concerned, no doubt about the wear and tear on his arm. And I can understand why Girardi's been a little apprehensive at times. But now six weeks left in the year, you're three and a half games out of the playoff spot. Listen, every game, to some degree here, it's got to be managed almost like a postseason game. Well, the Yankees had the off day on Thursday, so they had the off day earlier in the week. Then they had the unscheduled off day with the rain out. They get an off day Thursday. They got one again next week. So they got plenty of days off to give their rotation time to get healthy, mix and match, give Kuroda all the rest he needs because, you know, this guy's like a 75-80 pitch pitcher now. Um, but you look at these standings, you know, Kansas City and Detroit both win on Thursday. So now now it's kind of nuts how a week ago we're worried about getting beat up by the Tigers. Now we're actually, you know, in a, a squaring off against them for the wild card because the Royals are hotter than they've been in, you know, 30 years. But four games separate the Yankees from the Tigers. And also you got Seattle, who's three and a half ahead of the Yankees, and Toronto, who's a half game ahead. I mean, you look at this, you know, sort of mess here with the second wild card and – to think that the Yankees are going to pass, I mean, yeah, they should be able to pass the Blue Jays and the Mariners. I think they're better than both those teams uh, when they play to their potential. It's something they obviously don't do. But to think they're better than Detroit and even Kansas City at this point, I just don't know if that's possible over six weeks of the season. I agree with you. And listen, I have been of the wait-and-see approach for most of this year when it comes to Kansas City. And Kansas City over the last two and a half, three weeks has just been playing off the charts good baseball. They're getting sensational starting pitching. Their back end of the bullpen with Wade Davis and Greg Holland has been incredibly good, and now they're finally starting to hit. And that's a team that has a lot of loaded prospects that are finally starting to flourish at the big league level. And listen, Neil, I know that type of bullpen is a mess. 
when you're relying on Jabba Chamberlain as your main setup guy, <laughs> and when Joe Nathan is flipping fans off, that's your number one concern. Uh, you're going to be in big trouble come October, but I think we can both agree, look at Tigers with the Yankees. Tigers, despite the fact they lost three out of four at Yankee Stadium, they're a much better team over 162 in the New York Yankees. So, yeah, listen, it's not getting any easier for the Yankees, and that's why I look at these next, what, nine games or so. We have three at Tampa, and I know Tampa's been a pain in the neck for the Yankees over the years, but listen, you want to start being taken seriously as a team that can make the playoffs, you better win two out of three. Then you get the Astros for three and the White Sox for three. We better be sitting here in about a week, week and a half, talking about the Yankees putting together like a seven and two type stretch, because right after that stretch could be the stretch of the season, a road trip that could finish the Yankees, because they play a game in Kansas City at the makeup. They play three against the Tigers. They play three against Toronto, all on the road. I would not be shocked that if that's the stretch we look to as almost the make or break, the Custer's last stand for the 2014 Yankees. Because, listen, those are head-to-head games with the Royals and head-to-head games with the Tigers. Best way to make up ground, beat a team that's ahead of you in the standings. Well, you talk about the Tampa series this weekend, and it's almost like two out of three because of what's happened the last couple of days, because of the way they deteriorated in the Indian series. It doesn't. It seems like they need all three against Tampa Bay. They might listen, and the Yankees have lost five in a row, which or four in a row, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. A week ago, we'd be saying the Yankees are in good shape here. They were. That was the way I felt walking out of the stadium on Friday night. I'm like, all right, this team is <laughs> maybe finally starting to put it together. They had to. Big barrage, Beltron hitting the Grand Slam, they scored 10 runs, but listen, this Yankee team, it's getting desperate, and as one as Yogi Ferro once said, it's getting late early. Being four games on a wild card, six weeks to go, not the best of positions, but listen, two good weeks here, and the Yankees are right back to where they need to be. When I wrote about it, I said, you know, I compared, I haven't been, I said last Friday, six days ago, I, or a week ago, I haven't been this excited about the Yankees since... Um, game one of the 2012 ALCS when they came back four runs. And, you know, because uh, up until that moment, you know, it looked like they'd steal that game, great win, you know, great postseason winning Yankee Stadium. And now I'm feeling like, right, you know, 10 minutes after that when Jeter broke his ankle and the season was ruined. And it's crazy how things can change in a week because, like you said, you're at the stadium last week feeling high. You know, I was watching that game, feeling great about the way things are turning. Uh, you hear about Pineda coming back. The Tanaka news looked like he's getting healthy. Maybe the bats are finally starting to come around. And here we are, they haven't won since then. It just it doesn't seem possible, but I guess with this Yankee team, there's really nothing you can be surprised about after this point, after uh, you know 119 games. No, and they've been consistently inconsistent all year. That's the thing, Neil. They put together a nice stretch, then they'll put together a lousy stretch, and they're right back where they started. I go back to that stretch they had in June against Toronto and then Beltran, that walk-off homer on a Friday night. I was out in Las Vegas at the time going crazy at the sports book. And I'm thinking, all right, Yankees are going to get fat here. They have a nice stretch against division opponents. Then they go out and they lose the next two to the Baltimore Orioles. Then they get swept by the Tampa Bay Rays in the process and lose two out of three to the Red Sox in the process. It's been that kind of year for the Yankees. But the thing is, now you're at the point where if that's going to continue, you know what? Then you're looking at an 83 and 79 team that's not going to be in the playoffs. Bottom line. Well, the thing that I mentioned with Jeter breaking his ankle, and I talked about this today at Keats of the City, is the fact that you know maybe that night when we're standing there in the Section 203 together watching that game unfold and unravel and the Swisher misplay and all the disaster that happened in extra innings, that could be you know the way they're going right now, the last time Derek Jeter is ever on the field for a playoff game. Which is an absolute shame if that ends up being the case. Now, look, nobody's going to feel sorry for Jeter in the sense he's won five World Series. He's 
famous seven. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. His record off the field kind of speaks for itself as well with the whole yeah Jeep scenario. We could get into that. And the uh, amount of fames that we have can check off the list when it comes to Jeeps. And you don't even want to know how many gift baskets he's been sending around New York City. But that is a real painful memory for you. It's a painful memory for me and for most Yankee fans out there because you knew right then and there that 2012 ALCS against the Tigers was dead and buried. I didn't care about game two. Didn't care about game three or four. You knew it. I knew it. Everybody in the building knew it. The minute Jeter went off that field and was helped off the field, the Yankees were done in that series. They were. And it would be really unfortunate if that is your last image of Derek Jeter in a postseason game. But you know what, Neil? Six weeks to go in a year, Yankees will pull out. Distinct possibility. It is. And, you know, I, I felt positive about this team all along, thinking here they come, they'll turn it around. And every time they have, they've only, you know, turned it around negatively right around. And they, that's what they've done here in this last week. But to stay with Jeter now with the uh, Derek Jeter Appreciation Day, where the Yankees are trying to sell out or have sold out the stadium. Um, for an early September Sunday afternoon game against the Royals, which at the time they're probably thinking, you know, there's going to be 10,000 people at this game for week one of the NFL. But now the Yankees and Royals, they, that could be a very meaningful game in uh, in about two plus weeks here at the stadium because of the second wild card implications. But are you uh, going to be in attendance that day or are you? Ah, uh, no, no, no. Listen, listen, Neil. I love the Yankees. I love Derek Jeter. But I also <laughs> love week one of the NFL season. And for me to give up, Dolphins, Patriots, Brady, Tannehill down in South Beach is something I will not be doing. I'll be out there. I'll be in the building Friday night, I'm sure. I will be in the building for Jeter's last home game, which to me, let's be honest, you know, nobody remembers the Mariano ceremony last year against the Giants. Everybody remembers Mariano on the mound the last time against Tampa with Jeter and Andy all coming out to the mound. That's the way it's going to be for Jeter if indeed that is his last game at the stadium. So, I will be there for that. I wouldn't miss that for the world. But for a little hokey ceremony that they're going to have, you know what? I'll put it on the second TV, and I'll be more than happy and more than content watching my football in the process. <laughs> well, I had this conversation earlier in the day with my girlfriend, actually, about um, you know making that trip to Boston for the last three games of the season to see Jeter. But there's some variables at play because, yes, if the Yankees are still in it, if those games mean something for the division or the wild card, he'll be playing. But say the Yankees are eliminated or say by some miraculous chance – they have the division, you know, wrapped up. Does he not play in Boston at all? Um, you know, I heard that brought up a couple of weeks ago when they played something on baseball up in Boston, and I thought about it. And then, you know, you'd say, oh, he would want his lasting image to be at Yankee Stadium. But Fenway Park is so iconic. The Yankees and the Red Sox have had so many great rivalries over the years, so many great games over the years. I don't see Derek Jeter, Neil, the type of guy that's going to say, wow, I want to get those games out. I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're sitting here singing a different tune as the final weekend of the regular season. I'll tell you, anybody up in Boston who's got tickets for that last game, they're going to be pretty irate if they sell the ticket or if they go to the game and then Derek Jeter's not playing and you're watching a meaningless baseball game between the Yankees and the Red Sox. So, listen, I would assume he plays, but... Listen, Neil, your guess is as good as mine, and hopefully it's something we don't have to worry about because it'll mean the Yankees have meaningful games there in that final three in the uh, 162 stretch. 
This season sort of uh, unfolds now, and obviously the worse they get or the, or the farther they fall from the playoff contention, everyone wants to talk about what happened in the offseason and the $458 million spent, the decision to not bring back Cano, which we both wanted to see Robinson Cano back, um, and we talked about it last year during the offseason. You know, what happens now with uh, you know, Hal Steinbrenner sort of giving a, a threat, but really an empty threat because it's not like he's going to start cutting people or firing people the way his dad would have. But what happens with Brian Cashman in this front office going forward? I mean, you missed the playoffs back-to-back seasons in New York for the first time since the early 90s. Um, and not only do you miss him, but you miss him after spending a half a billion dollars one season and the other season uh, your, your arch rival wins the World Series while you're sitting home. It just it seems like this is the time if Cashman couldn't survive anything, it would be this. I agree with you. Now... If the previous regime was running the team, I'm telling you right now, there would be no chance whatsoever Brian Cashman would be coming back. Uh, not a chance, but these are different times. This is not 1984 all over again. This is 2014. And I liked a lot of the moves the Yankees made in the offseason. You know, i got to be fair. I liked bringing in Brian McCann. hasn't worked out. I liked bringing in Carlos Beltran. Hasn't worked out. I like the Jacoby Ellsbury move, even though I think they paid him a little bit too much. I think he's a quality player, and I like the move. I was happy with it. Now, listen, I think Cashman, certainly, if this team misses the playoff shit again here, he's going to face some sort of accountability. But if you're asking me, going to my head, is Brian Cashman fired at the end of this year? I don't see it. I really don't. I think the Yankees are very comfortable with him running the operation. But to be honest, can you look at his last two years and the last 10 years as a whole? and start calling some of his decisions and moves into question, certainly, with the amount of money the Yankees are spending. But I also think you can look up and down Major League Baseball, and you can make the case the Yankees could also be doing a heck of a lot worse. No, that's fair, and you brought up a good word there, and I think the word's comfortable, and it seems like this Yankees regime, like like you said, the old one would have been firing. People would have been going left and right, even players be moved and cut and DFA'd and all that, but um, I think they are comfortable with him, and I think you know they look at it from a financial standpoint, and as long as the Yankees are making money, they're going to you know stay status quo. They're not going to try to you know ruffle any feathers or shake things up that could um, hurt them in that area, but... For you as a fan of this team, would you, you know, do you want him back if they don't make the playoffs? I got to think about it, honestly. And in years past, it would have been a non-issue uh, because I was pretty content with the moves Brian Cashman made. And listen, to be fair to you, Neil, I can't really get on anything he did in the offseason because the Cano thing to me goes above Cashman here. I, I don't think ownership wanted to go down the road of giving a player a 10-year deal. I'm going to be perfectly frank there. So, you can look at the decision not to bring back Cano and say, oh, how can Cashman do that? I- I'm going to be honest. I think they were all on the same page. I think they were on board. I-, I don't think they wanted to hand out another 10-year contract after what happened with A-Rod and what a disaster it turned out being. So you look at the moves they made. I was in agreement, and I think most Yankee fans liked all of the moves that Brian Cashman made. Now, look, Brian Roberts, you didn't know what you were getting. He ended up being a disaster. <laughs> I-, I know along the Yankees should have brought back Mark Reynolds. You could get on Cashman for that, but... A lot of these moves I was in agreement with. So I, I kind of feel dirty in a way if I'm going to be start calling for the general manager's firing when I'm sitting there in the offseason championing these moves. And the Yankees did a nice job, had a nice little offseason here. So that's why I feel like I'm almost in an interesting catch-22. But thankfully, Neil, I am not paid to make those sort of decisions. Brian Cashman is paid to make those sort of decisions. And you know what? Those four, they have worked out. No, they haven't, or at least most of them haven't this year. And 
it would be interesting if uh, if he wasn't brought back and didn't, you know, there'd obviously be other teams willing to take him on in some role, some capacity if it wasn't GM. But it would be nice for him. I think it would be, you know, one of the most uh, intriguing books that I could read if he were to ever, you know, do a little tell-all about the moves that he was behind, the moves that were forced upon him, you know, whether it's the Guerrero-Sheffield wall and the A-Rod trade, things like that. I, it would be really nice to find out during this, you know, 98-tenure to present day, uh, the things that he wanted, the things that he didn't want, and the ones that happened anyway. Yeah, I would love to read that book, almost like the Yankee years times 100, because yeah. your story tells you a little bit. But at the same time, Joe Torre didn't really throw that many people under the bus, if you remember his book many moons ago with Tom Baducci. And I'm going to be honest, Neil, where the Yankees go here in the offseason, your guess is as good as mine. Forget about Cashman for a minute. What are they doing at shortstop? What are they doing at second base? What's going to happen with third base? What's going to happen with your starting rotation? There's a lot of people. David Robertson, what's going on with him? There's a lot of questions that have got to be answered, regardless of what happens here over the next six weeks. So, listen, I'd say buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a very interesting time in the history of this franchise because now with Jeter retiring, every link from those glory days, the teams we grew up with, they're done. That's it. And the only link you may have left is Alex Rodriguez. That's really the only link you may have from, like, the old four oh five Yankees, if you even want to go back that far. And, yeah, you have Teixeira and T.C. Sabathia if he ends up getting back on the mound and Robertson and Donda. But you think about that, the links from the dynasty years over and done with, which, to me, finally closes the chapter on this regime. And you move forward, and, listen, when you look down the pipeline, not a lot to look forward to, because it's not. I was adamant against the second wild card. You've always been a fan of it. I've had to come around on it because now it's their only way I would way hope in. so. Listen, Neil, if there was no second wild card here, we wouldn't be having this conversation. The Yankees <laughs> I, would no, be dead as a doornail. Hey, I admit it. I, I, well, I don't want to say I was wrong because I, I do think, you know, like 33% of the teams in is a little much. But if it comes to the Yankees, you know, when you look at, like you said, the, the chapter closing on this regime, the glory days of what was uh, the teams that we grew up with coming to an end now, Jeter retiring, I mean – this, the way baseball is going here with teams locking up their players uh, to long-term deals when they're younger, no one's hitting free agency, uh, or at least very minimal people to compare to what it was even you know three, four years ago, the whole Yankees game plan, their whole strategy in the offseason is going to have to change. They're not going to be able to lock up the guys they used, or they used to, and they're not going to be the guarantee marquee free agents, 30-31, uh, they're going to be able to get either. And so it seems like you know while we were so used to winning the, the division, or at least at the worst, getting that wild card, which didn't really make a difference, it's almost a good thing for the Yankees that the second wild card exists because they're not going to be able to run baseball the way they used to. They're going to have to, you know, learn to play like everyone else, and right now they're getting beat at that game. Totally different animal, Neil. It is. And listen, the days of the Yankees and the Red Sox running train on the American League have come to an end. With parity, these teams can sign their own guys. These guys aren't getting a free agency, and it puts the further emphasis here on play development. And listen, lately, you can't sugarcoat this. The Yankees don't allow the job there. Other teams, even though they've been successful, they've found a way to develop players. Yankees have no homegrown guys on their team, and it's killing them. Let's be fair, it's absolutely killing them. All right, JJ. Well, it took us a while to get this one because uh, we haven't done a podcast in a while. Every time we go to do one, something comes up, something happens. There's an extra in game. Uh, you know, just something comes in the way. But now with six weeks left, 
um, I feel like we're going to have to talk more often than usual because there's a, there's a lot of important baseball to be played, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon, especially with some uh, important homestands coming up, the Jeter Day, um, your Dolphins kicking it off. Maybe they'll uh, you know reach the postseason for the first time in a while, maybe make a move on the uh, AFCE. So we'll be in touch, and uh, we'll definitely have to talk a little bit more as baseball winds down. Well, Neil, don't hold your breath on the Dolphins making a move in the AFC East. But listen, maybe they could get one of those wild card spots in the AFC. It was my pleasure, bro. Hopefully we're not crying tears of sorrow in a couple of weeks when we're out of Jeter's last game. Yeah, I don't know. You know, as bad as the summer of 08 was, uh, you know, as bad as that Yankee team was, and they weren't even bad, I mean, winning 89 games, but knowing there'd be no baseball in October, and then they have to go through it last year, um, it's not something you want to get used to. It's not something I'm definitely not looking forward to, but I just hope we don't get that again. Hope so, Neil. Hope so. Only time will tell. (laughs) All right, JJ. We'll talk again. All right, bro. Later.